Welcome to the Chain Breaker Podcast. This is episode number four. I am Joe Herrera here with one of my favorite people in the entire world. I Many people don't know this about me, but I actually am Hispanic Irish descent with a little bit of French Canadian. So the blood that pumps through my Irish body is Mexican. I'm from Mexico. But my heart that pumps it is actually from the Polynesian Islands. I love Hawaii. <laughs> and Leilani's family is from, uh, from, from Maui. Maui. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's awesome as a person. The heart that pumps the blood through my body comes from the islands. So we've got a lot in common, a lot going. So welcome, Leilani. Thank you. <clears throat> so you do your own podcast. You know how this works. But tell me, tell me about yourself. Like growing up in Maui, when did you come to the States? What did your parents do for work? All that fun stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Maui, um, born and raised there. I was in Maui for about 20 years. So I moved to Vegas when I was 20. Um, my mom was a preschool teacher. My mm. dad was a police officer. Wow. Um, also ex-military. He was in the Army, so okay. he was a veteran. So are your parents both from the islands? Um, yeah. They were both uh, born and raised on okay. Maui. Yeah. They're both Hawaiian? Actually, no. So my dad is Hawaiian and Chinese, and mm-hmm. my mom's Portuguese. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it's very, very common um, for kids born and raised in Hawaii to be mixed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I mean, because the native population, just like every native population, I remember growing up, Herrera was a very Hispanic name, and now it's like our names mean very little because most of us have so much ancestry. Mm-hmm. You know, I go back to France and can, uh, Canada and Mexico and Ireland and yeah. all these places. So, so your dad, military background. How'd your parents meet? They met through a family member, my dad's cousin knew my aunt and so my mom was like fresh out of a divorce my aunt was like come to this party (laughs) my friend is having and they were kind of like behind the scenes of trying to get my my mom and dad meet they met that first night and it was like inseparable ever since siblings you have um so my dad had two boys from a previous relationship and then my mom had my sister from her uh, previous relationship. And so I have um, three older siblings, all half. And then between my parents, it's just me. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So school teachers, police officers, I mean, financially growing up, money was... So, I mean, here's a great story. Um, Growing up in Hawaii, cost of living is really expensive. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so... I didn't know many, but like I had two parents who worked full-time jobs and not even just full-time. Like when I think about my dad working, gosh, I don't even know of a time where he just worked eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Like always getting overtime. Shifts yeah. Anytime he had an opportunity to get another shift, he'd work it right daily, weekly. Like it was normal for him to work a 16 hour like work yeah. day. And so it's crazy to like think back on that and think like, wow, like he worked so much. You would think like we were well off. <laughs> right. But, no. but the cost of living is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was just, it's insane. Um, home prices are insane. So we weren't by any means like poor. Right. But we also like, we were comfortable. We didn't yeah. have like a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah. Did you feel it when you were a kid? Did you feel I did not. a lack? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Which I like totally appreciate my parents for. Um, 
because even though, and even back then, like thinking as an adult, how hard my dad had to work when I was a child, I didn't realize right, that, right. that he was working so hard. Because yeah. as an adult now, if you ask me to work a 16 hour workday, <laughs> I'd be like, are you yeah. insane? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So knowing how hard my dad worked. And so as a child now, I, I never felt it, never knew. I just knew like, yeah. my dad worked hard. Yeah. So you come to Vegas when you're 20. Mm-hmm. It, it is the ninth island anyways, but why Vegas? Um, so I wanted to see more. Mm-hmm. When you grow up on an island, all you know is like your little tiny island. Mm-hmm. You know nothing else and you watch television, obviously growing up and as a yeah. child, you just like take all that in and you see all these cool things that people do. But what people don't realize is like those cool and exciting things like road trips and amusement parks and professional like football games or even concerts Mm -hmm. like that stuff isn't really available to us because it costs so much money to get people there to get people to come yeah so I wanted to see more Mm -hmm. and I was like I need to go to the mainland I had uh, family and cousins who lived in Vegas so essentially like my first I was like let's go for a trip let's just go visit my cousins and see what it's like and I came here the first time without my parents by myself Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god this is so much fun (laughs) like this is what I want to do like I just want to be here and like just experience everything life yeah so why is Vegas so connected to the islands like what is it that connects Hawaiians to because every Hawaiian I've talked to is like oh yeah my cousin lives in Vegas yeah and I think cousin's kind of a looser term than I'm associated with like for me a cousin is a parent's sibling's child. No. Hawaiian's cousin's a big Second, thing. third, yeah, fourth, yeah, yeah, fifth yeah, cousin. Yeah. Like, yeah. we're all close. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Um, so why the, why the connection between two Hawaiian Two things? things that I would probably, like, say is, one, gambling is illegal in Hawaii. And, and Hawaiians love to gamble. Yes, love <laughs> to gamble. Um, and then, two, cost of living. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, I think the average price of a home is, like, Nine hundred fifty thousand right, there, right, right? And so they see what they would get there for nine fifty that you could get here for four hundred, right? And they're like, oh, okay, easy. Well, and it seems like the Hawaiian culture is very accustomed to hospitality. Yes. And with Vegas being really the hospitality capital of the world, it almost makes sense that they would gravitate here for yeah. that purpose. All right, so you come out of twenty, and what did you do? Like, what? How did you make a living? Um. I'm not very proud of my 20s. (laughs) I grew up in a, my dad, I mean, police officer, veteran, like, was very strict. Yeah. So I grew up in, like, a really sheltered household. Sure. So in my 20s, in Las Vegas, without parents, (laughs) like, I think I went to nightclubs every other night. Right. Like, at least four or five times a night and stayed out as late as I could, because just because I could. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... Yeah, danced and partied and, like, didn't even How were you supporting yourself through all this? So I had a a full-time job as a salon and spa receptionist when I first came out here. So when I first moved out here, I had my license in cosmetology to do hair and couldn't get a job doing hair, so I, like, settled for receptionist. Mm. But, like, that wasn't even a priority for me. I was just like... I want to party. I just want to party. Like, yeah. I, I, for so long, just have been in this sheltered, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. little island in right. the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. And now I have, like, the whole world in sure. front of my feet. I'm like, let's just 
just let's go. Let's just party. Well, and I think that's the story is I think there's so many people that their parents grew up, uh, you know, hardworking W-2 employees, like pension benefits, health insurance paid. But, you know, so many people stay in those professions because they yes. have to. It's like... It's not that I mean I'm sure your dad loved his job as a as a as a police officer. Your mom probably loved teaching school, but at some point it, it's not even an option. It's like you have to keep going to get to retirement. Well, like that. that's the thing, and I um, when you grow up as a child, all you know is what your parents teach you. Right. And so I grew up knowing my dad had a nine to five, my mom had a nine to five. I'm going to have a nine to five. Yeah. yeah. Um, I came here. I had a nine to five. Money wasn't really a priority. I just knew, like, I wanted to have fun. Sure. Eventually, though, like, then that changes. Right. And things do shift. So something about my parents, they actually never owned property. Period. Yeah. Like, never. Yeah. Um, They've rented their entire lives. Right. And so even that, like, that's what I grew up seeing. So you were just used to it. So even when I came here, I was like, okay, like, let me find a rental. (laughs) And I have a rental. I have a nine-to-five. I'm good. So you're checking all the, you know, the very responsible, but the family path to life. Which is rent a house, get a nine-to-five. This is what my family showed me. Right. This is what I'm doing. And all my extra time is just going to having fun and partying. So how does that pattern how does that pattern get disrupted for you so I know the exact moment that changed for me Hmm. um and I talk about it as if do you know um like in a cartoon when the character like falls down the hill Mm -hmm. so I have that moment and it's literally like this trickle effect and how like in the cartoon the debris just Mm kind of gets bigger and bigger around the character so it literally just snowballed for me after this one moment um it was in I think 2012, maybe 2011, um, my aunt and uncle bought a house for my cousin who lives here in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And she's a second cousin. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, same thing. She's yeah. a cousin. She's yeah. a cousin. Um, so I remember going to her brand new home and just being like, wow, like this is so pretty. Mm. And smelled great. Smelled great, looked yeah. pretty, like brand new community, brand new right. home. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Being a, a smidge bit jealous, because I'm like, wow, she doesn't even have to like pay rent mm-hmm. a month. Because like her grandparents just pay this thing cash. Yeah. I was like, wow. Driving out of that community, there were other new construction communities like along the way. Mm-hmm. And I remember passing one and the banner had said you could own this new build for like a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And I was like, what? I'm paying more than that in rent. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I'm paying twelve hundred. You mean right. I could have that? Right, right. I was like, okay, awesome. Right. That was the moment like I had like a mindset, mm-hmm. like a mind like a shift. Paradigm shift, yeah. Yeah. Um I think what we don't realize as real estate agents is many people could have that, but nobody knows the process that it would take to purchase a home. Right. And even figuring that out could be a vulnerable thing. Sure. So with that... Even admitting that you don't know that. Admitting, yes. I mean, for somebody... So I'm thinking at this point you are 30 or 25. I'm, I was or like 25. 25. Having never lived in a home that was owned by someone related to you. I didn't know what that meant. Right. I didn't right. know the difference between renting and owning. And there's a vulnerability in admitting that. There's yeah. a vulnerability in... 
admitting you don't know the process. Yeah. And so, and I think that that's interesting. So often we get in our little bubble, our own little knowledge island, for lack of a better term, and we just assume everybody knows what we know, and we assume yeah. everyone has experienced what we experience, and we assume it, you know, and so it's, it is so important to put ourselves, to put yourself back in that new home mm-hmm. in 2011 and thinking, okay, there's people like me who don't know any different. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. So you, at that point, because I think we started working together in like 15 or, no, it would have been 16 maybe, 17. Yeah. Well, so, at that point, I lucked out and had a really good friend who had just gotten his real estate license mm. because I don't know that the Leilani then would have reached out to somebody and asked the question sure. of like, yeah, yeah. what do I work? have to do? Right. How does this work? And you could have been stuck. I mean, I'm sure your parents are happy people, but you could have lived that nine to five yeah. renting life your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because like I said, I didn't know the difference. Right. I didn't know the benefits of owning. And I didn't know any of that and didn't think to even ask because my parents rented their entire sure. life. It couldn't sure. have been can't be that big of a difference. Right, right. Um, so I lucked out on having a really good friend of mine who was a real estate agent who had just gotten his license. So I felt comfortable asking, mm-hmm. like, where do, I, where do I go from here? What do I do? Yeah. I want to own a house like that. Um, which then even takes you to, like, another step that's even more vulnerable is he tells me, okay, well, we have to talk to a lender. Yeah. And he's going to know your finances. Your finances. And, yeah. He's going to know your income, what you make, what you have in the bank, right. what your credit score is. Right. At, unfortunately, I hate to admit <laughs> this, but at 25, I didn't even know my, what my credit score sure, was. Sure. I never did check it. Right, I didn't right. know. I didn't care about right, it. Right. It didn't really affect me all that much. And right. so even getting to that point of realizing I'm going to meet somebody else Who's going to know all my financial history? <laughs> Even that's scary. Yeah, it's like and a so, financial priest almost. Like they're going to know all your, yeah. all your dirty laundry. Um, but it took me being talking to my friend and him introducing me to a lender to finally get me on the path. I think I bought my home like maybe a year later. Mm. Um, I was a cocktail waitress at the time. And so um, as a cocktail waitress or a bartender here in Las Vegas, your majority of your income comes from tips. Yeah. And so I was just feeding my bank account just cash, cash yeah. all the time. And my lender was like, whoa, yeah. you can't quite do that. Sure. So it took me a few months in order to get my finances situated. Yeah. But I mean, I was really lucky enough to have had a good friend who was a real estate agent. Yeah, walked you through it. Yeah. How do you, how do you not... I don't know that I would have ever bought, bought a house because I would have been embarrassed or scared to ask the question to someone else. So we go from renter to owner. Now we're looking at becoming an agent. Mm-hmm. So because the cocktail, the, like what little I know about <clears throat> the service industry in Vegas, like it's really hard to get out. Yeah, It's almost like like uh, one of my favorite movies from the 90s. Troy probably watched it called Blood In, Blood Out. It's like how to get into a gang and how to get out of a gang. And so, like, my brother-in-law was a valet parker, and it was like he just couldn't give it up forever. The mm-hmm. cash economy was too good. The health insurance was too good. Yep. And then even just inside of it, the subculture is yep. very um, – can be very filled with drugs and alcohol abuse mm-hmm. and things like that. So yeah. talk about your time as a cocktail waitress. Like, how do you ever get out of that? So from the time I got my real estate license – to when I actually got out was probably two and a half years because mm. I was terrified to get out. Yeah. Like you just said, terrified to leave uh, the tips, yep. cash daily, the health insurance, yep. like all of it. It was just 
stability, right? right? right. Um, but actually what pushed me out was I worked for a casino that I think at the time was open for like 20 years. And a lot of the employees that I worked with, I mean, they were there from day one. Mm. And so these people were old enough to be my parents. Some were even older than so that. So you saw yourself. So I saw them struggling every yeah. day. Like just, I mean, it's a grueling job to carry that heavy tray, like right. full of drinks or even bartenders. Like right. they were just older and... I mean, they've had hip surgeries, wrist surgeries, like you name it, and they were just struggling having to work to reach a certain point where they would like have a retirement. Mm. And seeing that every day, I was like, I don't want that to be me. Yeah. Like there has to be more well, than, and I, than and, this. And I wonder the emotional toll as well. I mean, I, I imagine having a successful marriage, raising children is tough Yeah, and with keeping those hours. and Yeah. Things like that. So you get your real estate license, you get full-time real estate, you do transactions, but you've kind of found a niche as well where you're doing a lot of social media marketing and mm-hmm. a lot of design. What, I mean, what does the world look like for you now? You've been licensed seven, eight years now, seven years? Actually, three and a half. Oh, wow. So you got licensed in 18? 17. 17, so, so yeah, four, four. Four almost, yeah. So what does the world look like for you now? Because you're, you're still selling homes, but you're also now starting to create this side hustle of, of social media, marketing, and design. Like, what, yeah. where's your passion line now? Um, th- that's actually a great story as well. Um, in starting real estate and calling leads, mm-hmm. um, I come from a hospitality background. Yeah, I've worked in um, hospitality my entire life, and mm-hmm. so... Everything in hospitality teaches you like customer service, like the customer is right. And so getting on a phone call (laughs) with someone who like isn't ready to purchase or, you know, just has objections was really tough for me to overcome objections because I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, because customer service, um, customer service and sales are two sides of a coin that we think is the same thing, but they're just so different. Like if you meet a great customer service person, sometimes you're tempted to go like, Oh my gosh, you'd be a great salesperson, but it's a different it's a different thing yeah. until someone's experience coming from a customer service industry into a sales industry. It's it's really a different. Yeah, process. and so I told myself, all right, you're not you're not that great at this. You're not really successful at converting leads. Sure. Um, there has to be another way mm-hmm. for something to happen, and so I got really heavy on social media. Yep. And just started putting it out there and educating people who followed me about the process right. and I got really creative with it mm-hmm. which is funny for me because I've been I'm left-handed and so, so my I. my entire life I've been told oh are you or been asked you must be creative are you creative yeah and I was no always, one ever asked me that but because <laughs> that's like a, I guess the thing with like left-handed right. people yeah, yeah. that they're like creative sure and I was like mm, my, no. my handwriting is way too sloppy for anyone to ever ask me about my creativity <laughs> so like I was like no I'm not creative right. And that's like my entire life until like up again, maybe two years ago yeah. when you pulled me aside and you're like, your social media is great. We want yeah. you to do it for the office sure. and for the team. And I was like, I guess I am creative. <laughs> and I didn't even realize like the kind of quality of content I was putting out there. And even Which like, is awesome. You are really, really good. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's new to me and finding this like niche and 
in social media. And so now figuring out how to leverage that for me. Well, the cool thing is to see where this goes, you know, like, um, Sometimes it's really, really hard. I've, I've, I've been on a few long backpacking trips. And, like, you wake up and you're like, I've got to hike, like, 14 miles today to get to the next spot. And it's step after step after step, and it sucks. Yeah. And until you get somewhere, you, you could do a little climb and you look back and you go, like, oh, wow, I came from there. Yeah. And then you look forward and you go, ah, crap, i got to go there. But there's finding joy in the journey, but then there's also recognizing where you came from. Yeah. And so like you have a super positive background, like your parents seem like awesome people, but you're still kind of breaking chains in your own way of saying like, I come from generations of tenants. Like now I'm an owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm an agent. Now I'm a creator. So what does Leilani in 2021 tell Leilani in 2011 when she, you know, is learning and struggling and growing like what is what have you learned in the last 10 years and what do you want to do in the next 10 oh man um first of all i would tell myself great job yeah like don't doubt yourself i think um one really big thing that likely held me back um gosh might even still hold me back is the feeling of not being good enough yeah because even now with this social media, I've actually spoken to Troy about this, is I have my real estate license. Right. I didn't go to school for, for design, design or, or marketing yeah. or advertising. Yeah. And so even now on telling myself, you are good enough, like you're doing a great job at, at social right. media, like don't think just because you don't have a degree right. in this that you can't pursue it somewhere. Right. Um, so I would tell that girl that you are good enough. Right. Um, and then even now moving forward, is just kind of figuring out like how to leverage these things to to work for me Mm -hmm. and so i'm excited to figure all that out well and i would say we're generally not as we're we don't give ourselves enough credit i think we're not as bad as we think we are Mm -hmm. and a lot of times other people can see in us things we can't see it's just so funny because there's probably things that I have insecurity around that people would be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're great at that. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny for me to hear you have some insecurity around design and social media because I think you're the best I've seen. Um, and so it, it's cool. But the, the important thing is the journey. Like, yeah. I don't know that I'm ever going to get to any point in my life where I just feel like, okay, it's done. Yeah. You know, like I've done it. It's awesome. It worked. You know, whatever. I'm sure... Uh, there's a book uh, called, uh, uh, well, it talks about Dante's Inferno. Okay. And it's like a guy who kind of basically journeys to hell. And he goes through these rivers. And one's a river of forgetfulness and the, and the other's a river of, river of good things. You know, and it's, it's kind of that principle of like, um, what would happen if we treat others and ourselves with the principle that I'm going to forget all the bad stuff and I'm going to celebrate the good. Mm-hmm. And somehow we've got to get there. And it... It happens, I think, people who try to achieve something that has been unachieved. Like you may be in your little circle, your family, you may be the first creation, real estate, social media marketing. For sure. Anywhere around. Yeah. You may be trying to achieve something that no one in your family history has ever tried to achieve. Now, the flip side of the coin is, like my kids have now this like, this ghost of their dad they're going to have to chase. And so mm-hmm. that's a whole separate issue. But like I know for me, I'm trying to create 
wealth and income and influence so far beyond what my family has ever done. Yeah. That sometimes you sit back and you go, like, can I really do this stuff? Like, me? You know, like, why me? And it's such a cool process to go through, but it's such an intimidating process as well because sometimes we stop ourselves and go, wait a minute, like... I can't do that. I can't be that person. Yeah. And so it's it's fun to it's fun to do that. It's cool that you recognize that. Yeah. I actually find joy in knowing that the Leilani then would have just said, Okay, I'm not good enough. Right. And like given every excuse to back out of opportunities because of fear or right. insecurity or whatever it was. And so I love the fact that now I can acknowledge these things and it may take still a little bit more pushing. But, like, I'm able to break these chains and, like, yeah. I am good enough. I can do this. Like, yeah. fear is just in the mind. Like, it's I can move forward and keep going and keep pushing and have more and create more right. for myself. Yeah. Well, Leilani, it's been awesome. I admire, I admire people that are good at things I'm not good at. You're great with design and marketing. Um, I'm not good at... At that, I'm, I'm not a good runner. I'm not a good singer. I can't play the piano. <laughs> so there's like things that I wish I was good at that I'm not. And so there have been times in my life where out of insecurity, I would almost criticize people who are good at the things I'm not good at. But the older I get, the more I celebrate other people's yeah. the things they're good at. And like there's still that bit of envy, but that envy is turned into like uh, admiration. Yeah. And there's that weird process of maturity. I think you go from like, I don't like that person because they're good at something I'm not good at too. Man, I love that person because they're doing what I wish I could do myself. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to go through that journey with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for having me.